Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Random. Berto Will is your host. Thank you so kindly for being part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. We have a great show. One of our own is being inter- was interviewed uh, for our show today, and that is one the one and only Paul Fleming. We played it earlier today at KPFT 90.1 FM, and we're going to play it again today. But before we get started with that, let me just go ahead and say, hey, 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 welcome aboard Eric Hayes, welcome aboard Bridge MCP, welcome aboard E2247, welcome aboard AC Rodriguez, welcome aboard AVQ, El Grande, Michael Rudnan, how are my people doing today? Let's see what, what what's up, what's up? Hi, AVQ, Eric says, whoa, this intro is really screwed up. What happened? Did it play wrong on your system because it played right here? I'm not sure what happened, but anyhow, anyhow, let's let's get busy. Let's get busy. Wow, wow. Oh, let's I want to see what my, what somebody said about Mattress Max. Hello, Maywood. Welcome aboard. Well said, a statement on behalf of Mattress Max. The Harris County attorney is betraying half of the voters in this county with his fake outrage over election integrity. The real lack of integrity is his decision, along with Hidalgo and Ellis, to willfully hide election day communications from the people who pay all their salaries. Shameful. We will fight every step of the way to sunshine and honest elections in the city we love. The lawsuit against the state of Texas is simply a way to distract you from the growing evidence Democratic officials cheated on election day. The reason the Texas legislature wants to replace our failed appointed Election administrator is because the November election in Harris County was a disaster and Clifford Tatum is not accountable to the voters. Here's a fact. The fact is the election is no different than the election has always been and there's no cheating or anything in our elections. Again, Mattress Mac is really messing with his credibility. He is wrong. He's a Trumper. Trumpster. You got to stop it. Trump, like I like I've mentioned too often, your 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 support of Trump directly affects your intellect. Your support for Trump and what he represents makes you dumber. Even if you're a smart person, it makes you dumber. Because in order to support Trump, you have to disregard reality. In order to support Trump, you have to be a type of person who is easily controlled by people like Trump. I'm sorry. That's just how it is. And everybody who supports Trump proves it day in and day out. I still love you. My, I have relatives that are Trump supporters. And every relative that I have that's a Trump supporter tells me something about their mental state. Not that they're crazy or something but that they do allow external forces to mess with their their capability of thinking, their capability of being able to rationalize reality. It's simple. I mean, this is not difficult for you to go out there and continue with the same mantra about Trump over and over and over again. When mathematically speaking... When, uh, when speaking, not only mathematical, but being able to see what this guy has accomplished, what he's done. Just one example. You attack Biden, but infrastructure weak all along with Donald Trump, even as he had his people. And the only person that got it was Brother Biden. And I'm not even a big Biden supporter. Trump was a distinct failure. 
and for some people to continue to attempt to rehabilitate him as crooked as he has always been tells me more about you than it tells me about Trump. It tells me more about you than Trump. I love you. I really do. I am trying to work with you. But the support for Trump and any policy he has in the aggregate says more about you. Let's continue. Bruce Pollard, welcome aboard, my dear brother Bruce. May Wood is in the house as well. Michael Rudden says, hey, Eric Hayes, I'm not shocked about cocaine found in the White House at all. You're talking about D.C., land of drugs and hookers. Exactly. I, you know, they're going to try to turn this into something that it's, who cares? But let them hyperventilate and talk about coke. You know, I live in Kingwood, Texas. Let me tell you a little story, and then I, I promise I get to the show. But I live in Kingwood, Texas. Two things. Uh, the same bad things that happen around the world, I mean, around in the ghettos and the barrios and in Appalachia happens here in Kingwood. The only difference is we know how to keep it quiet from the cops to everybody else. Keep what's going on in this neck of the woods quiet. Several years ago, we had uh, a, ba a, a group of bandits, four, four bandits. They were robbing stores. They were robbing convenience stores, taking the monies with guns, okay? They were robbing stores. Nobody knew exactly who it was till it was found. It was four high school girls from Kingwood. Oh, no. What happened? Four high school girls from Kingwood. From great families and all these kinds of stuff, right? What were they? Common thieves for their drugs, drug habits. That's what happened right here in Kingwood. But that's not the only thing. During that story, you know, when they started finding out that, well, these girls were out of drug habit and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they got a dealer to start talking about what occurs here. Welcome aboard, Yvette Avery Herod. Good afternoon. And what happened is the following the drug dealer comes and he's being interviewed by the Houston press. And the Houston drug dealer says, you know what? I sell two kilos. Listen, good. I sell. Two kilos of Coke every, I think it was every week in Kingwood. And he said, only half of it goes to the kids. First of all, it's amazing that the kids have that kind of money that they can buy that much Coke. But that's what he, he, he pointed out. He said, I sell two kilos of Coke and half of it goes to the kids. Do you know where the other half goes to? Of course, you know where the half, other half goes to. To the parents. You know, this is a place where we have open bottle laws in, in, in Texas, open container laws in Texas. At any given day, you can watch women leave uh, the, the street that has a country club on and watch the, the, the glasses or the open drinks in the car. You think a cop would ever stop and do anything about it? Hell no. So let's be clear here. The reality is, more often than not, we're all great, good people. Some of us are gullible. Some of us aren't. Some of us will follow Trump till to kingdom come. Some won't. All right. Bridge MCP says, multiple officials involved in the White House cocaine inquiry now say the bag of powder was found in a cubby near the White House West e Executive entrance, not the formal West Wing lobby as was previously reported. 
Investigators expect to be done with the investigation by Monday, according to sources familiar with the investigation. The inquiry was previously expected to take a couple of weeks in updating the location of where the cocaine was found. Officials said that there, that area was also heavily trafficked. The cocaine was found in an entrance area between the foyer and the lower level lobby. The sources said the entrance is near where some vehicles like the vice president's limo or SUV park. It is one floor below the main West Wing offices and the same floor as the situation room and dining area. Forensic work on the cocaine bag continue on Thursday, though officials are sitting, sitting uh, low expectations that they will be able to identify the person who left the cocaine. Um, Eric Egberto wasn't the machine light on paper and between turn away. Yes, there were some machines that missed paper, but again, they were, they had enough paper based on what they I thought the activity was going to be, especially in a, in a city where you could go vote anywhere. So that is what makes this so silly. Houston, our, in Harris County, our great guy, uh, the, the, the control, not the controller, I forgot what he, the, not the attorney either. But anyway, he controlled the voting uh, in this state. And he made it possible, along with my friend uh, who is right here out of Kingwood, who was the, 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 uh, the sec not secretary of state of the, the county, county clerk, good friend of mine, county clerk. She made sure to get us new machines. And not only did we get new machines, we also were able to open up that, to allow people to go vote wherever they were. So if you're in, at a job, 50 miles away, you could still go vote. You didn't have to go to your precinct location like they want to uh, enslave you into voting in one place. You could go any part of Houston. Now they want to stop that because it gave everybody the freedom to vote. So I, I just want to mention that, love Eric, but Eric, you're simply wrong. You do not know the law. Anybody who said they ran out of paper in some location, they could have uh, jumped over to another location quickly. It's not like if their particular location ran out of paper, they couldn't go somewhere else. That's what we did. We allowed voting all over the county before, uh, before election day, and we wanted to do it on election day as well. So state and voter suppression is an outright lie. And assuming that you're a Christian, that you, I think you always call it that, if coming onto our network and lying is horrendously and based on the Ten Commandments, you're blowing a commandment. You're blowing a commandment. All right, let's get busy. Let's get busy. Ah, I'm going to play, uh, I was going to play Pence first, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and play our good friend who is uh, Paul Fleming. You guys have seen Paul Fleming in the, in the room before. He has had issues with uh, multiple sclerosis, and we've interviewed him many years ago. And I wanted sort of like an update and to re re and retell the story. And luckily for us, he accepted. So let's go ahead and listen to our good friend, uh, El Señor Paul Fleming. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. Today, I am honored to speak to one of the members of our PDR posse, Paul Fleming. Paul has a story to tell. Paul has a history to tell about health care and much more. Paul, thank you so kindly for being a part of the PDR posse. And thank you for giving us this opportunity to hear your story. Well, thank you for being the kind person that you are. Uh, you know, with a blessing of a demeanor 
that carries you through all trials and tribulations. I just feel like that all of us are put through a test to have a testimony to tell. And I'm proud to be able to still tell my story because some people with my disease are gone and don't have a story to tell. It's just people that they've left behind have their story. So Paul, let, let's, let's go from the beginning. You're, you're, I mean, we've all, we've all been a part of the healthcare system, but in your case, something occurred to you that uh, made it much more difficult to navigate. Why don't you tell us the genesis, the beginning of, of, of what you went through? Well, you know, at 37, I was really getting into the prime of my career. Uh, I was a higher ranking official with a major restaurant chain. And uh, I could actually see uh, the finish line of the type of future that I wanted. And, uh, you know, traveling in out of town, trying to manage family life, um, you know, it was difficult to put on my wife of just now 33 years. So um, all the kudos go to her. Um, but, you know, coming home one weekend, trying to help out with the laundry and be the man that, you know, I've chosen to be. I'm doing laundry uh, one Saturday morning. Uh, and then it happened. I turned the corner. And my left side just shut off like someone just turned off a light switch. My breathing pattern changed and I found myself on the floor looking up at the four year lights like, Lord, what is going on? And uh, and then I started with my toes trying to get it to move. And I swear to you, it, it seemed like it, it was an hour, but it probably was no more than three to five minutes um, of me regaining the use of my leg, my toes first, then my leg, then my hands, then my arm. And so I slowly stood up and did 10 jumping jacks, sprang up both flights of stairs, looked down and said, Lord, I need to schedule a doctor's appointment. Nothing happened the rest of the day. And I didn't say anything to anybody in, in the house about it. Uh, the very next day, doing the exact same thing, it happened again. But this time when I looked up, my youngest son was looking down at me. And I guess he could see the distress on my face because he started screaming for his mother when he saw me struggling to try to get up off the floor. And when he started screaming, that just put me in a panic to hurry up and get off the floor. And by the time my wife made it out of the bedroom, I was halfway up the stairs. I tried to deny what was happening, but my youngest son wouldn't let me off the hook. So I had to admit that something was wrong with dad, but I would be going to the hospital to find out what's going on. So being the person that he is, he had examined his father for 30 minutes and I let him in the bedroom <laughs> to see me. <laughs> and, and, and as a child would do, he slowly just left the room, you know. Uh, and it took me three doctors. I had to fire three doctors before getting to the right one. One doctor told me I just needed to lose weight. Well, had he looked at the charts, I had just lost 40 pounds. So I'm like, okay, you're out. Went to a neurologist. He just did it as a, uh, I guess the first, like you said, a consultation when you just sit down and you just talk about it. But he didn't talk about ordering any tests or anything. I'm like, did you not hear what I said to you, sir? I lost the total use of my left side. I was literally paralyzed on the floor. Oh, yeah. You know, well, you know, we'll we'll schedule another appointment and we'll get into all of that. And when I wanted to get into the specifics of what he was planning on doing, he would just ignore me 
And then I went to another doctor that just said he just didn't, you know, he couldn't help me. Something in my heart just told me to ask for the youngest doctor in the practice, this young doctor. Not only did he order every test of us under the sun, the most, most amazing part is that he sent the information out of his practice. And, you know, to the Mayo Clinic, to Emory here in Atlanta, and to the Shepherd Center here in Atlanta. And the Shepherd Center here in Atlanta uh, asked that he do a spinal tap. And it was just fortunate enough that the hospital nearby just installed the type of machine that they could just lay me on there and it was laser guided. So I wouldn't feel any pain because everybody gave me a nightmare story about going to the doctor's office. He's got a long needle and it's going to hurt. And I was like, geez, I don't know if I wanted to do that, but you know, I did it because I needed to. And, but it still took me three months to get an appointment with a specialist uh, in the city. So let me, let me stop you right there because I, I, want, sure. I want folks to see one thing right here. You had good health insurance with your company then, correct? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. As a matter I, of fact, I shared insurance with my wife's job too. So I was double covered. We double covered each way, which was really, you know, a neat thing to do. This is important for our audience to realize because you were double covered with private insurance and still yes. to see a specialist, you had to wait three months. We always yes. talk about the difference between our system and the Canadian system or the British system is that your times you have to wait and wait and wait. Well, here right. you were with a condition that at one point left you paralyzed on the left side. And here in America, with two very good private healthcare insurance policies, you still had to wait yep. three months. Had to wait three months without any medication. I want the, I wanted our audience, uh, Paul, to, to hear that. Because of the yes. fallacies you get from the right that somehow miraculously our right. private system is great. Right. Please continue, my Just friend. Just to make a normal appointment, you at least have to wait almost a month in some occasions. Right. You know, so it happens in America just like it probably would anywhere else. So the myth, again, that some people in politics want to spread about, you know, other country's healthcare system is just totally false. I mean, you can be braggadocious about something, but make sure that it's factual, you know, because not having the wrong information can have you die. You know, in right. my case, having the wrong information, had I believed the first doctor who said I just needed to lose weight, I could have just totally lost it in the use of my left side and not ever got it back. Because and in you between driving, you could have been right. driving, not knowing Absolutely. that as you Absolutely. Were a part yeah. of my job is that I covered the Southeast from North Carolina to Texas. Um, and so each city that I get come into, I have to drive to the destinations. So it could have happened, you know, it could have happened that way. And, and thank goodness that it didn't, um, you know, and I just went into a panic. Well, I'll let you carry on with it because I know we can't be all day with this interview. Oh, no, no, but, but what, what, what I want to do is get now. So we got to the position where uh, you finally got your spinal tap, et cetera. Mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. now they're, they, they're going to discover what's wrong with you. Right. So I had the spinal tap and he, since the Emory, I mean, since the Shepherd Center responded first, he sent the information back. And the proteins in my spine indicated that I had multiple sclerosis. And so, again, it took three months to get to my specialist. But in between time, I started having seizures. I didn't know what was going on again. So I scheduled another doctor's appointment. But just luckily, the very next week I had an appointment 
And me being, you know, a man, I guess, being real ignorant, I didn't go to the emergency room. I just said, oh, I got a doctor's appointment. I'm going to be OK. You know, when you, when you feel young and healthy, you know, you just it right. gives you the wrong thoughts about things that you just don't know about. And right. fortunately enough for me, I made it to that next appointment and he had to just literally sit me in the hallway while he see other patients until it happened again. And when it happened, he came up and he immediately knew what it was. And so since like the first month, since I took the first, when I took the first dosage of that medication, I never had another seizure. Okay. So, so it's the quick, so I, it's the quick reaction by him, the quickness of the appointment. I think that really prevented other things from happening to me. Now. Uh, so how has it been now that you've discovered you've had multiple sclerosis at 37? Um, can I ask you how old you are now or? I'm 56. I'll be 57 this year. So that's almost 20 years ago that you found out you had multiple sclerosis. Yes, 2004. How, how, 2004. How has mm -hmm. the pathway with the healthcare system and uh, medicine, the, the pharmaceutical system been for you? Okay. In the, in the very beginning, because, um, because I had, uh, because I had double coverage through my wife and myself, uh, but it, but I was really afraid to continue with my job, you know, being on airplanes and driving vehicles. So I resigned, um, and so I lost part of that coverage. And then something happened on my wife's job, and so we had no coverage from one time. But then I got another job you know, in town because I needed to work and I wanted to work. Uh, and I got, I found another job in like two weeks. So it was no big deal. And I had coverage again. And then that's when the eyebrowsing raising effect took place. Coming into the very next year, the cost of my medication, the first 30 day supply of my medication cost $15,000. And because I made so much money so fast as a young man. And I think my doctor and not, I, I really believe my doctor told me about other um, philanthropists out there. I can't say that word correctly, but that that provide help for people uh, with medical problems and those other organizations out there. I sort of glossed over it because I had the money. It's like, ah, you know, because I really didn't know because I was covered already. I ain't going to cost me that much, you know, but when it became $15,000, I'm like, whoa, but I had the money. So I just paid it. And I, and I just paid, paid it. And then after the first you paid one month for that one month, January of each year was $15,000, almost $16,000. And I dropped and it. it out of pocket. I paid it out of pocket. And, and then uh, reimburse. No, of course not. No, that's just that's just money gone. And then after that, though, then it gradually because you're on a scale to, to pay out your deduction. But the first payment did that. But the payment still was six hundred dollars a month thereafter for a 30 day supply each month. Six hundred dollars. Eventually, it slid all the way down to like two fifty three hundred dollars by December. But the very next January you're back at $15,000 again. It started that process all over again. So I guess the first four or five years I did that. And 
It drained you. My wife, my wife being a realtor, uh, which in all of her jobs, bless her, she just had it as a hobby and I didn't care. Everything she wanted me to, wanted to do, I just, okay, I encouraged it. You know, she has a, uh, she's a real estate broker. She sells life and health insurance. Uh, she did reverse mortgages. Uh, anything she thought she wanted to do. So she owns about four or five Georgia state licenses. And she's like, honey, we're going to have to sell our home. And I, as if I wasn't depressed enough uh, that we had to move out of our home into an apartment, which my kid never experienced. You know, a parent always think the worst because, you know, you always want the next generation to have more than what you had. Mm-hmm. And so we looked around at several apartments. My kids were so excited. It was the total opposite of how we were feeling in apartments for about four years until they kept raising uh, the amount to live in there. When it got just over $1,000, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We can be back in a home again. And so my wife being the magician that she is, we found our way back. Uh, but then eventually I had to leave that job because I had a relapse. And my supervisor, you know, all my employees, I told, you know, what my challenges were. But when my supervisor came in, she was being so rude that, you know, she almost fired all of my the, my coworkers. I call them coworkers, even though I was the boss, because I never had the boss anymore. I trained you properly on the way you go. And as you continue to train and explain, and then they would just did the job. So I just would never allow them to tell friends or family that I'm the boss. This is my coworker. I say in your private time, you can say that, but I'm not your boss. People that I have to manage, yes, I'm your boss. But the people that come in and do the job, we're just coworkers. That's how I view the workplace. And that's why even today, if I go around town and just happen to run into a person, they want to know where I'm working at because they would leave their job to come work for me. Because I will let you be who you are, you know, knowing the goals we have to accomplish. Once we accomplish, relax, go take a smoke break. I don't care, you know, but when it's time to go to work, we all come together as a group and make things happen. Yeah, man. And, now, so you you went ahead with all, uh, you, you got to move back into your home, but you had to sell your house because of medical conditions. And you've given the, the big format pretty much six to seven to thousand dollars or more than that easily over a hundred thousand yeah. dollars worth yeah, yeah more like that. That. but still but still after getting this medication they weren't guaranteeing you anything you still had a relapse after being on this yeah. medication i still had a relapse over the now 20 years because you say i'm like wow it really is that long i've probably been on eight different medications at one time i was taking 18 pills a day Wow. Wow. And and to the point to where it was it was causing me heart issues like it would get extremely hot. I would get extremely hot and my breathing pattern would change and I could feel my heartbeat slowing down so much. So and it usually happen. I'm by myself in the house, but I don't know what came over me to take all my clothes off. And I hate to say that in the interview, but I had to take my clothes off. And within like one minute. It was like nothing ever happened. And up until um, it happened at a MS event, because I would take different family members around so they would understand what happening to me around town. I would take them to an MS event. And it just so happened my oldest brother and my mother was with me when it happened again. And the man speaking was one of my doctor's uh, interns. 
and it happened there. And I, I thought, I really thought I was just leaving right there. And I apologized to my mom and my brother, everybody in the room, I could hear them crying as I'm slowly fading away. And with my last breath, I, t- I told the doctor to take my shirt off. And he was like, your shirt? And my last nod, that's all I had left. Cause I could hear him saying 62 beats a minute, 43 beats a minute, all the way down to like 15, yeah, 15 beats a minute, you know, cause he had already yelled out the call an ambulance. Right. And, um, and sure enough, took my shirt off and I snapped back to it and I'm looking around, everybody's crying, I'm like, what's wrong? And in my mind, that's when my mom really started bawling. And, but the doctor, the, the ambulance people came in and checked me out. Like, oh, he's fine. He goes, do well, do you want to go with him? No, nah, I'll be okay. I'll just, they let me do an emergency appointment with them since, one of the doctors that I go to saw it. And so then they just start running other tests on me uh, to help me find out. And then I went to the top cardiologist in the state. Nobody could figure it out. And then so I just reexamined it. I reexamined all the medication I was taking and it was some conflicts. So I just gradually on my own slowly took myself off of medications to this day. Now I only take my MS medication, uh, my neurological pills, because I have some every now and then some reactions, some gabapentin. And that's right. it in my vitamins. That's it. And now, I've never had a as- problem again. Now, so uh, as far as how you're dealing now with the medical system, uh, before before the Affordable Care Act, did, were you able to get insurance, or was that uh, that pre-existing condition an issue? Well, I always knew that I could retire with this disease, and so with that last job, um, I just I just applied and was approved the very first time and people still struggle today having MS of being not approved. And I don't understand why. Or for um, uh, social security disability. Social security. Yeah, I'm on SSI. And, um, but still even being on SSI, I had to reach out to these uh, organizations that would help pay my medical costs because I would have to literally sell my house. I probably, we probably, well, my wife really does have a really good job now and she's still doing real estate. So we probably would be okay, but it would be really difficult on her. Something that I wouldn't want her to go through because I told her and, you know, I told her if it gets really, really bad, I would leave you because I wouldn't want you to go through suffering to have two, three, four jobs, which she already does basically part-time on her own anyway. Um, But I wouldn't want her to have to worry about me in that way. You know, I just love her too much. And I guess she loves me too much too. Some of you fool, you should shut up. Don't say that to me. Don't say that to me. I'm going to do whatever it takes for you is what she told me. Paul, I tell you something. And that, that is what we fight about, right? Hell, that you had a bad hand. We all get a hand in what life has to offer us, right? And that you got a bad hand and that your personal economy should reflect your bad hand, that you had no no way of choosing. Uh, That is what health care for all, ensuring that we are all our brothers keepers, ensuring that society is there to support us all. That's what it takes. I've sent you being able to get from... Uh, support from uh, other sources. Nobody should have to be hunting for support to stay alive. If you come, 
if you work in a in a big corporation that is on the stock market, like a food chain that I was involved in, um, then you're you're paying into the system. And I try to explain to people like this that, that talk about health care. I said in business, especially a restaurant chain, you always have one or more stores that suffers to make a profit, but you always have a few money makers to cover their losses. And so this is how you keep that other store afloat until you either do the proper marketing or hire the right people to increase sales. And sometimes the restaurant is just in the wrong place. And, you know, fortunately enough for me, I had the type of restaurant education to understand that, you know, because I basically started from the ground up in the business. And even after I left being sick, I was still offered to be co-owners of the business, but I was just too afraid of a relapse. And I didn't want to, if I couldn't feel like I contribute a hundred percent, I just didn't want to do it. You know, but I still could have been a, a very wealthy person even after I got sick. But I didn't want to lie to anyone like everything is OK when I really felt like deep in my heart that it wasn't. So, you know, and I'm that's just fortunate that the medication works. And that is honesty. And you know what? We need a hell of a lot more of that, Paul. So, Paul, um, we're coming close to the end. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about is to let people understand, I mean, the amount of tribulations one can go through. You are able to navigate. Uh, between your private insurance company and getting uh, those those companies that give offers. But uh, when when some people hear that you had to pay fifteen thousand uh, dollars for your uh, once a year for your drugs as and then after six hundred dollars a month, that should mm -hmm. give everybody pause mm -hmm. for something that they should know they can have in a good healthcare system. It would be provided in a good healthcare system. The stresses yep. that you have to go through. For healthcare, uh, many people. Uh, there's no reason for us to live this way, but you know, I, I hope Absolutely. your story, along with the stories of others, uh, continue to make a difference because that is how we're going to change people's minds. Paul Fleming, thank you so kindly for having been politics done right. Thank you for having me, brother. I really appreciate you. Anyway, folks, I hope you 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 like the story and understand why I'm doing stories like this. If you also have an health situation uh, and and how the insurance companies are screwing you because they all do, uh, please feel free to let me know and let's go ahead and set up an interview so that the rest of America can actually hear your story. I want to before I go into the other videos, I want to uh, talk about two things that Eric says because I think it is important to our right-wing and Republican people who have been lied to by the folks they happen to trust. All right. Uh, 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 Hayes says, Egberta, you're going anywhere to vote is ignorant as you previously argued about giving people water. I never said uh, going different places to vote was ignorant at all. I, I did complain about not being able to give people water to drink, but I want to tell you something. The reason why many Republicans that I've spoken to believe that somehow voter fraud is allowing people to vote uh, wherever they want to vote is because, again, like I've always told you, Republican orthodoxy, uh, the, it, the, it's, it's predicated on keeping those who follow them ignorant. And what do I mean by that? 
a lot of people would say, well, he, he could go to this place number one and vote and then go to place number two and vote and go place number three and vote. No, we can't. These systems are designed that everybody has a unique idea, a new unique call sign in effect that that computer central database would reject a double voter. And even if there is a, a, and I write software, so I know how these databases work. Even if the databases aren't synced because maybe uh, the telecommunications were done down that connect the two areas or whatever, even if somebody accidentally was able to uh, vote another time before it's updated in, in record number two, by the time we get synchronization, nobody's vote would ever be counted as twice. The second item is drive up and vote. Drive up and vote allows people, the, the, the same issues about calling driving, driving up and vote as ignorant is actually fairly silly. My daughter who had two strokes, with this time around, when she went to vote, she drove up in the car and because of her uh, walking, uh, her inability to walk as she, sh as she can and stand for a long time in the voting place, she was able to drive up and vote in the car. Excellent ideas. It opens up democracy for everybody to have access to the vote, whether they can come in a wheelchair, whether they can go to anywhere that's close to them that has the vote. It is the most ingenious thing that Harris County did, and it put the fear of God in Republicans because it actually meant more people would vote and the, 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 the franchise of voting was open to everybody. The one thing that Republicans hate the most and because they don't support policies that support people. They support policies that support a few and specifically the corporate class. All right, let's see what else I got to go here. I, I just wanted to correct. I just wanted to correct Eric because he is absolutely, entirely, absolutely wrong. And not only wrong in the statement, my brother, but also wrong in the sentiment of what these, these policies are designed to do. And again, to not follow them shows what the Republican Party has done to the mindset of many. All right. It's sometimes it gets, I'll be honest, I try to be mellow about it. I try to be cool about it. But sometimes it is upsetting to see the degradation that Republican orthodoxy has done to the minds of otherwise very intelligent people. All right. Continuing. Other countries with socialized healthcare systems have waiting lines for elective procedures, but they do far better for general healthcare for vast majority of citizens. Ours, and, and again, you're absolutely correct. Our system only works if you literally have a ton of money. And you know what else? The outcomes of a system tells you how good your system is. And our system outcome from life expectancy to many other factors, we are down in the gutter. Life expectancy, all these things, we are so much better we are so much worse than the rest of the world. AC Rodriguez says, private insurance gets in between you and your doctor at all the time, but right-wingers are worried about the government. Again, it's amazing. They, they don't mind a private institution getting in between you and your doctor, but the government, oh my God. And the government actually doesn't do that, right? Peggy Lopez says, Paul, when I was young and dumb, 40-something, right in the freights, we called, you, uh, we called you ignoring the medical science, young and dumb. Come on, leave Paul alone. Uh, Michael Rodney says, the last time I went to an emergency room following a car accident, after my primary care physician uh, doesn't deal with no-fault cases, they gave me $975 bill just for talking to a doctor and having a basic checkup. 
telling me I'll be fine in a year. Liberty Mutual uh, took the bill off my hands, but I always thought that price tag was a ripoff, which it was. No other country would basic checkup at emergency room with zero tests run or anything really cost nearly $1,000. I can only imagine what you are going through. Mine, when I had that high pressure spike, was $5,000 until I threatened to put them on my blog, then immediately dropped to $2,500. And I I decided to pay it off because, well, you know, I, I was done fighting. All right. So every January, you had to put up front payment. Yeah, $15,000 he had to pay up front every January. And then after that, it cost him $600 per month. Shame. All right. But he says it's national health care in UK. Yeah, UK has national health care, meaning zero. You just walk in with a card. Likewise, in Canada, you just go in with your card and you don't pay for health care. But the Canadian difference is you do pay for drugs, but their drugs are severely regulated, not laissez-faire like it is here in the United States of America. So the drug costs in, in, um, in Canada is a lot cheaper. And that's why Bernie Sanders used to have these buses drive folks to Canada buy the drugs and come back here. Monica Coin says, if you could only fix stupid. Uh, <laughs> all right, Monica, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Um, coming down, coming down. Robert Davenport, sir. Oh my God, I am in, in agreement with Eric Hayes. On what subject are you in agreement with Eric Hayes? I'm, oh, with stay with your partner. Eric, look, Eric Hayes is a good guy. I love Eric. You know, Eric comes to our uh, Ask Egberto, but sometimes Eric lets the republicanism, ideological mumbo-jumbo mess with his better thinking. But Eric is a great guy. Anybody who came to our Ask Egberto anything on Saturday left that left that, left that uh, Zoom uh, meeting loving Eric. Every single one of the people who thought Eric was just a crazy bad guy, they left loving eric i can tell you that categorically uh but he sometimes i want to ugh, but anyhow i love him uh let's see what else we got here uh eric a says egberto this goes for caregivers like alzheimer's patients etc all right bruce says having ms stories similar to mine diagnosis is hard to get yes it is bruce uh let's see what else we got uh eric a says vote how you want to so move on with the gaslighting eric stop calling what i'm doing gaslighting it's not. It's fact. Uh, continuing, let's see what we got here. Bridge MCP says New York State voting, absentee voting qualification to vote by absentee ballot absent from your county or if a resident New York City absent from uh, the five boroughs on election day, unable to appear on the polls due to temporary permanent illness, is unable to. I, I, you know, New York, we have better for those who are able to vote and identify themselves. We are more, uh, we are, we have better options than New York to vote, which I think it's a shame for because New York is a blue state. It's a shame. It's a shame. Uh, Jules Ray Winfield. Hey, how you doing, my brother Ray? He says, deregulate the ballot box. I agree. Most of the Republican areas affected with paper shortages. And guess what most vote day is? Not true, but I know you want to believe that lie that they put out there. Mike C. Texas Maywood, accept your claims of who is wrong and right. Don't match up with the facts. We, uh, what we do know is that blue states are shedding population, and that's not completely true. 
though uh, they're making a calculated and fiscal decision, they make their money in blue states and then they go ahead and can get their dollar to go further in, in red states because the red states don't take care of their people. So the blue state people come into the red state, live like kings and get served by the original red state people. Wow. That you're putting your your people into servitudes, Mike Cisak, but I don't you don't see it. Egberto, even if you have good health insurance, do not forget doctors still judge you by race and gender. Very true. Eric Hayes, solution: have one day to vote, and you show up all electronic and instant result. Look at Florida, for example. No, I don't believe that, but that's fine. Egberto Willis, I had two heart attacks within six weeks and never saw a cardiologist. Always told me it was my stomach. I was a female treated. Look. Females, my daughter would tell you that females, that's why we need a lot more women doctors. Females get some of the worst treatment in this country because they are not taken seriously at all. Um, All right, let's see what else we got here before I run to it. Okay, I got a chance for the next video. All right, this next video is Mike Pence. Folks, Mike Pence, the inner John McCain, has finally emerged from Mike Pence. Mike Pence finally challenged a MAGA person uh, uh, just regurgitating ridiculous crap. Listen to Mike Pence. Let's give Mike Pence some kudos for growing too. Here you go. If it wasn't for your vote, we would not have Joe Biden in the White House. Do you ever second guess yourself? No vice president in American history ever asserted the authority that you have been convinced that I had. President Trump was wrong about my authority that day, and he's still wrong. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news. I want you to listen to what he said. Uh, that you have been convinced about. This is something that you hear me talk to Eric about, Lado and CSEC and other ones of our good um, uh, right-wingers here. Notice how Pence said it. I did not have the authority of which you were convinced of that I had. In other words, he's saying there were people you trusted that lied to you about the power that I had as vice president. And I wish, and what I'm telling Eric and others is many of the things that you put on the screen here are people who have lied to you who you have trusted to make you put these things on our chat or on our voice lines or whatever. But you know what? Again, you have been lied to. It's not there. Last one, last but not least. You know, we had uh, Donald Trump is running and finally the Koch brothers decided that he's too much of a liability. So we won't have that. So while there are times we supported this charlatan, El Senor Trump, we are now going after Donald Trump. But will it work? Well, here is the ad that they're putting out against Trump. And Michael Steele has a response that I think we should all heed because he nails it. It'll work for some, but not for most. As 2024 GOP candidates meet with voters in the early primary states, new evidence showing that Donald Trump's election denials are taking a serious toll on GOP finances. A Reuters analysis showing that the former president's false election claims are leaving swing state Republicans, quote, effectively broke as the party bleeds donors and cash. And the political network financed by a deep pocketed GOP donor who has vowed to, quote unquote, sink Trump is out with a new digital ad. 
in the early states. Watch this. Instead of making Biden answer for his reckless progressive agenda, Trump makes the debate about indictments, personal grievances, and the election he lost. Sure, he did some good things as president, but the reality is Republicans lose if Trump is our nominee. Leave Trump's baggage in the past and nominate a new leader to make Biden answer for his failures. Um, um, how effective is it when you have someone like Charles Koch putting out an ad like that one, major Republican donor, right? But an anti-Trumper. Well, what it does is it it, it stirs um, some anxieties within the donor class. Those yeah. who who are sort of straddling between that world with with the Koch brothers or other interests and and the uh, Trump community, if you will. Uh, and so you have that sort of tension in terms of the base. This ad will mean very little. It will do very little. If nothing else, it solidifies more around Trump. It sets up what a lot of those MAGA heads believe is this sort of anti-establishment, us versus them kind of mindset. So this this you know furthers that uh, thinking, uh, and you'll see it play out as the lead-in says. Uh, we're you know candidates out there trying to get cash. And support and it's, it's fractured and spread out and it's not as concentrated as it once was. And so now they have to work harder to find those dollars. Well, it's interesting, right? Because in the same respect as we're having this conversation about swing state voters, um, essentially, or swing state Republicans, I should say, um, being left effectively mm-hmm. broke as, as they're reporting, right? We are also having conversations about the former president fundraising in record numbers after multiple indictments. How do you actually even reconcile this? How do you square this? Well, his his base support of 40-some percent of the Republican Party, those are small-dollar donors. And they set up their accounts, hey, take $50, $100, $250 a month off off my credit card. So they just lock and load it in and go. Um, Trump, meanwhile, has other major donors in the party uh, who still support him and still will help fund on the back end a lot of those operations for him. So he's able to do his. The problem, which will be interesting to see, is how are the other candidates running against him doing financially? Yeah, Where are they getting their money? How easy is it for them to raise the dollars they need, particularly given the arbitrary and capricious kind of bar that the RNC said, oh, you know, you need 40,000 individual donors and you know, all of this other crazy signing. And are they getting behind one? Are they getting behind just one? Are they coalescing behind one? No, they're not coalescing because ego won't let you coalesce. Right. Ego's not going to let you coalesce because I'm the one. I'm I'm the guy who can be Trump or I'm the gal who can be Trump. Right. So there's not this sense that, you know, as they had a chance in 2016, they have a chance right now because once, once you do that first debate, it becomes even more problematic, particularly if Trump isn't there. All right, I got a message for you. That is, he nails it, he nails it, he nails it. The the commercials are not going to make much difference for those who are true MAGA. And not only is it not going to make a big difference for those who are true MAGA, but uh, unless they coalesce around some particular candidate, the 40% MAGA that the Republican Party represents cannot beat Trump. I mean, uh, cannot Trump cannot be beat if they don't coalesce onto a candidate and work their butts off. Because again, Donald Trump owns most of the or the plurality of the party. 
Now, let's go ahead to something that Robert, that, uh, that uh, Mike Cisak gets, because Mike Cisak is excited that a lot of Californians, New Yorkers, and Illinoisans are leaving these states with their wealth to Texas, Florida, and uh, what's the other state? Texas, Florida, and somewhere else. You know, and he's like, a big win, a big win. It's a big loss. First of all, when we get more people from blue states to move into red states, we do what's so important and dilute the redness of the state, right? Because it's not the people in red from California that's moving, because they're poor. I hate to tell you that, but in, in, if you take a look at the demographics of wealth in this country, uh, the new the, the people that are uh, that are they're clamoring to the Republican Party, they don't have a lot of mobility. The mobility are with those in the blue states who follow the pattern blue. So when these guys move from New York, from Illinois, from uh, New York, what they're doing to the red states is they're making them bluer. And in a state like Texas, where we are on the cusp of becoming a blue state, it just speeds up that change to Texas being blue. The same for Florida. Florida used to be a blue state, or a swing state, I should say. But as more people move to Florida, as we get the older folks, the old people have skewed Florida. Because a lot of old people go down to Florida and move, right? But what happens, of course, is, no, Beto didn't get hammered. People didn't show up to vote. Beto, look at what happened between Cruz and Beto. Different story, 2%. So therefore, it is so important for, I, I want Mike Cisek to keep talking about, hey, bring your wealth to Texas and your vote. Because these people were able to build their wealth in blue states, and then they come to red states and they live like kings and queens as the red state original people who don't want to be taxed. Tell those people to bring their monies in and we won't tax you. You're going to put more expenses onto our state, but we won't tax you. They just look at the red states as cuckoo. That's all. And in reality, how can you argue that after we have somebody like Mike Cisak saying what he's saying? So come, Tex uh, Californians, move to Texas. Illinoisans, move to Texas. New Yorkers, move to Texas. We'll become blue probably a, 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 a cycle or two earlier than we, than we expected. But anyhow, folks, thank you so kindly. I still need your support for our trip to uh, our, our trip to um, Chicago. Please, please, please consider supporting us. Politicsunright.com slash NN23. Politicsunright.com slash NN23 is the link. I just placed it into the into our feed and you can uh, and what you get all the videos that we produce would list all of you who supported the program we will make sure that all of you uh that that wants your name to be on the list now so a few people have already asked that they be anonymous guess they don't want something out there that showed you know that i, I can understand that 
But I mean, uh, those people who wanted their name to be don't don't mind me putting their name as a producer supporter of this um, of, of of our trip, meaning all the videos and the interviews that we do with people, you will be there. Um, so please support it again. Politicsandright.com slash NN23. And don't forget that to support us in general, meaning, you know, support us however you can. Buy us a coffee a month or something like that. You can find all the ways to support politicsandright.com at politicsandright.com slash support. Politicsandright.com slash support. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? What am I again? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.